You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Tell I am not Aunt Frederick. Uh, my name is Chet Phillips. I uh, was I'm a, one of the pastors over at uh, Mill City Church in West Columbia. And I was a church planning resident at the same time that Ant was. We actually kind of shared a little cubicle space. We were ordained on the same day, sent out at the same time. And so when he was coming over here to get things started here, I was heading to West Columbia uh, to get things started over there. And I am uh, pleased, excited, and it is a joy to be here with you this morning. Grab your Bibles. Go to 2 Timothy. We're in a Warriors series talking about the fact that God, when he redeemed his church, when Christ paid for our sin and purchased us and made us his, he called us into an eternal cosmic battle, an eternal cosmic war, that he is transferring us from a a domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son, and that is war language. That he is a king who has a kingdom, and, and we have a real enemy. And so as we follow Christ, we have to have a mindset of a warrior, and that's exactly what Paul is saying here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, my granddad was uh, in World War II. He was in the Navy, and he was stationed for a little while in London. And he had a kind of a day of leave, so he's walking around in civilian clothes, just checking out things in London, and heard airplanes coming, and a German uh, bomber squad began bombing London. So as fast as he could, he took off, he ran back to his base where he was supposed to be. He ran down, they had some kind of tunnels and some underground stuff. He ran into his quarters to quickly dress as quick as he could because it's, it's go time now. I'm, I'm a soldier again. He's got to get dressed back up. He puts his clothes on. He turns, runs down one hall, and as he's turning down the next, his pants fall off. So he picks him back up, and he was a tall, thin man, and his pants were not his. They were way too short and way too wide, and he just thought, it's go time. You just got to deal with the pants you got now. So he just kind of twisted them up and kept running, and he went down another hall, and then it clicked in his mind, if I have this guy's pants, <laughs> he has my pants, and he's not going to be able to do this. So he stopped, ran back, and sure enough, when he came back in, there was a man fully dressed, except for he was holding a really small pair of pants and looking at him like, how on earth am I going to get in these? It, I, can't, I can't fight in these pants. He, my granddad said he ran over as quick as he could. They changed pants. He said he was running down the hall. He said, that guy was behind me, cussing me. He was so mad that I took his pants. And then he would let it get real quiet. My granddad would go, you know, he's mad that, that I took his pants, but I think he was even more mad when he found out I'd already peed in them. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's just how my granddad would end that story. Now, here's the thing. We have been called into a war. The reason my granddad was in London was that he had enlisted and was at war, but he's walking around London like a tourist. Like it's, he's just here to do some sightseeing. And for many of us, and far too many of us as Christians, we have been called into an eternal war, and we're just walking around doing some sightseeing. We think we're here to just hang out and enjoy things, and, and all of a sudden when things turn on us or when we get called into something serious, we are woefully unprepared because we're not, we don't have the right mindset and we're not ready to go. And so Paul in 2 Timothy is going to tell Timothy, who is a pastor of a church, he says, let's pick this up, 2 Timothy verse 3. 
Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So Paul basically says two things. He says, you are designed to be a good soldier, and a good soldier does two things. A good soldier suffers well, and a good soldier stays focused. He says, don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. So he just says, soldiers don't do this, but a way to say that is to stay focused, and those are the two things we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we will uh, begin talking about sharing in suffering. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit that enlivens, illuminates, empowers it, and commissions and equips us to follow you. We thank you for Christ who was obedient on our behalf, and we pray that you would empower us to be obedient as we follow behind him. May your word, through your, the empowerment of your spirit, work in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So share in suffering. I said suffers well, but uh, the, the text we're looking at, it says share in suffering, that we are designed as good soldiers of Christ to share in suffering. Now, I love that the word share is there because it could just say suffer, and we just have to be like, all right. But it says share in suffering because the call is to join in suffering, following behind Jesus who suffered in our place who went before us as the suffering servant and joining with the church to suffer well together, to share in suffering. That if you are a Christian, you have a share of suffering that you are supposed to step into. That when you became a Christian and you joined the church, you joined uh, in a share of suffering. When you joined a life group, you are designed to share in suffering with your life group. When you joined this church, you were to share in suffering with this church. When this church was planted, it was designed to share in suffering with the churches in this city as the churches globally share in suffering for Christ. It's what we're meant to do. So how, how are we doing on that? So I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a huge fan of suffering. Amen. It's not my favorite thing. I don't really look forward to it. I don't wake up in the morning and go, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to get me some suffering. I don't do that. I don't, I don't know why we would, but we're designed to join in it and to share in it. Now, I think there is suffering that is common to all humanity because of sin. And we are meant to, in that suffering, suffer well as if we believe the gospel and be able to point to Christ in it. That's what the video was pointing out this idea that in the midst of suffering, we might suffer well and we might display the gospel and we might remember and believe the gospel. But I also believe that there is a type of suffering that is distinct to Christians that we accept upon becoming Christians. It's distinct to Christians. Not everybody else has to join in it, but we have a share of it for the purposes of God's mission and for the, the advancement of his kingdom. We take on suffering that is not for everybody. It's not just because of life. Sometimes, Peter says, sometimes we suffer because we make bad decisions. You ever heard that? It's one of my favorite quotes, but everything happens for a reason. And sometimes the reason is that you're stupid and make bad decisions. That's not a biblical quote, but I like it. <laughs> Peter says that sometimes we choose to do something poorly and we suffer for it. And he says, what good is that? But he says, when you're godly and you suffer for it, that's honorable. There's grace in that. And that's what I think Paul's calling Timothy to here is to suffer well for the sake of Christ in suffering that is distinct to the church. Let me give you some examples. Um, your neighbors, your coworkers, their entire paycheck gets to go to whatever they want it to go to. 
Yours doesn't. You have a share of suffering when someone in your group loses their job and needs help. You have a share in that. There's some of your savings that ought to be set aside to share in suffering. There's a share of that that ought to go to this church family as y'all try to move the gospel forward. You might have neighbors and coworkers and friends that get to do whatever they want to with their time. You don't. Because you have a share of suffering that you're meant to devote some service and some of your energy some of your blood, sweat, and tears towards something that matters and something that is eternal and to take on something that harms you and hurts you for the sake of something that is better and good and eternal, that we have a share of suffering. I see this a good bit. The people around you, they may have the freedom to eliminate all the toxic people from their life. You don't. If you don't... I see that all the time. Is that, oh, they're just toxic. They're bringing me down. They're hurting me. Honestly, sometimes when Christians say it, it's like, what on earth are you talking about? When I, got, when I joined a group, I, when I believed in Christ, I knew it was because I was a sinner and I was messed up and I needed grace, but I didn't know everybody else here was going to be a sinner who was messed up and needed grace, and I just don't have time for that. I, I can't handle that right now. I'm not able to be a part of that right now. It's just, it's just weighing me down. It's holding me down. I need to be a part of a church that maybe is bigger where I can come in and we can sing, and then I can go home. I watch TV and don't nobody know my name and nobody's trying to keep up with me. And if I don't hang out at something, nobody's texting me and trying to ask me what I'm doing. When people hurt and they're sad and they need things, they don't know who I am. So they can't ask me to bear burdens with them, which is a biblical concept. But I don't want to have anything to do with that. See, we're called to share in suffering. And there's some suffering that is distinct to Christians who have joined in something that is eternal and matters. So are we doing that? Uh, our church family joined y'all. Uh, for a give project, not this Christmas, but the last one, to put on a block party. And we had a blast doing that. One of the reasons I love that block party was it was in December. But from what I understand, y'all do them all during the summer. Y'all been outside lately? This past weekend, the sun got mad at South Carolina. I don't know what, what was wrong with it, but it got mad. It just came and like lived in our backyard. You walked outside and it was like, hey. Y'all want to see people meet Jesus? And y'all are hosting a block party? And it's 115 degrees outside for some reason? With so much humidity that I, during the summer, I have to have two shirts when I live around here. I just, I, I go outside, I start sweating, I'm going to change my shirt later. It's, it's a problem. I don't know, I got a condition, but I just got to deal with it. <laughs> you show up late, you leave early, you walk outside and go, nope. Text, I'm really sick. You're sick of the weather, but, you know, you don't leave that part. That's off the back of the text. No, we're designed to share in suffering for something that matters for the sake of the gospel. And it's distinct to the church that we are to own more of it. Um, I don't know um, about y'all, but I get, I get pretty into movies when I'm watching them. Um, I always have. So I was like the little kid. If I was watching an action movie, I couldn't just watch it. I jumped up and like punched my dad or whatever. Like I couldn't just, couldn't just watch. I do that now. I think my wife hates that I can pause stuff, you know, because we'll be watching something and, you know, wife will cheat on her husband or something. I'll pause and I'll be like, girl, let me tell you something. And she'll be like, don't turn the TV back on. We ain't going to be able to 
watch shows if you keep doing this. Or children be act, will be acting up, and I'll pause, and I'll be like, if our boys ever, she'll be like, our boys are asleep. Just watch the show. I remember watching Saving Private Ryan, and there was this guy, it's a war movie, there was this guy who was a translator, and that was his job, so he wasn't a very good fighter. He was just meant to translate, and they get in kind of a situation they didn't expect to be in, where there's this uh, part of the army's marching on this little town they're in, and so they just load this guy down. Translating isn't going to be helpful. They just load him down with ammunition, put a bunch of ammo around him. They give him ammo cans, and they just say, hey, run around as best you can and make sure everybody's got ammo. And there's this scene where while the shooting and everything's going on, he just gets scared, and he just hides. People need ammunition. He's just holed up somewhere. And I was so mad. I'm like, like, I wanted somebody to just find him and stab him. At least somebody could use, like, something. But the truth is, as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and I am equipped for good work, for God's church, there are times where I am meant to be in the fray, serving with the good gifts that I have, and I just don't want to, so I hide. I get a text. I don't know how many times I, I just have thought as a pastor, I'd love to be a pastor back in the day when people didn't have your phone number. When they disappeared, I didn't know how to get a hold of them. I'd just be like, I don't know where he's gone. I ain't got a bloodhound. Now it's like, I can look him up on Facebook. I got to talk to him. But how many times are we meant to be serving, be sharing, be using our good gifts that God has empowered us with through the Holy Spirit and we are not? You're meant to be saying something. You're meant to, to weigh in. You're meant to correct. You're meant to call to action. You're meant to lead someone to repentance or you're meant to repent yourself and we just don't. I will guarantee you something. And I think this is a plague that's over the South. And maybe it's over the Christian church in all of America. I don't know. I only have lived here, so I'm just localizing it. Um, you will, if you hang out with a church, Within about two to three years, you will be given a distinct opportunity. You will have been around long enough, specifically if you're in a life group, a lot of times quicker, to repent, to reconcile, to forgive when somebody's harmed you, to bear burdens with somebody. You will be given a distinct privilege of a Christian to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit and apply some things you see in the Bible. Or you can go find a different church. And this is why we often see people who lap around and they'll be at one church for two to three years and another church for two to three years and another church for two years and then one for six months because it's real easy to get involved until you know people and they know you and they know your sin and they're calling you out or you've sinned against somebody and you've hurt them or they've sinned against you and they've hurt you. And there's now the opportunity to do the thing the Bible says like love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, reconcile with one another. And we have the opportunity at that moment to do that or to go somewhere else. And I would encourage you to share in suffering as a good soldier, to live out the gospel as it applies to your life and to stay and grow rather than leave and stay perpetually unhealthy. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier. But then he says this, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So he's just telling a truth about soldiers. He says, the point of a soldier, the goal of a soldier is to, in, to please the one who enlisted him. So no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Civilian pursuits being non-soldiering things. So we live uh, near Fort Jackson. 
Some soldiers get leave periodically. They get to go away for a little while. They get a day off. They get a weekend off. None of them get a, get a weekend off and go back and go into their commanding officer's uh, quarters and just say, hey, or in their office and say, hey, I need to talk to you real quick. Oh, this weekend while I had time off, I, I went ahead and got a job at Taco Bell. And uh, I talked to my manager, Dave. He's 15. He's awesome. Uh, <laughs> he said that he would be flexible with my schedule, but I just wanted to give you his number so y'all can sync up on stuff. That way, you know, if sometimes I have to just not be at drill so that I can go work at Taco Bell, you know, because the bell's pretty important. Plus, they're going to give me some discounts, whatever. Nobody does that. That's his point. Nobody does that. That's stupid. It doesn't happen. And if you tried, your commanding officer would just be like, get out of my office. <laughs> like, you know, I think you're going to lose your job at Taco Bell, and I don't really care. That's all he's saying. Now, what I think Paul's getting at here is not that everything we do has this idea of like, this is sacred and this is holy and these other activities are unholy or un secular, but just that we remember who enlisted us and what our purpose in life is so we don't get entangled in other things. And I think that word entangled is very helpful there. Entangled means caught up so that you can't get out. Entangled means that it's taking, it's tying you up. It's taking up too much of your time. You have changed your focus. And so honestly, I think most of the civilian pursuits, the sightseeing that we do are in general good things that we have elevated out of the right position. Good things that have entangled us so that they have dominion over us, so that they now seem to be the one who has enlisted us into service. Since you ask, I'll give you some examples. Hopefully... These will get personal. I don't know y'all, so I'm just shooting in the dark here. But uh, let's talk about entertainment for a second. We are now unaccustomed to being bored. You know, you know why some of the, the shower is one of the places you have some of your best thoughts? You figure some things out in the shower or when you're asleep? because the only time you don't have something shining in your face. And some of y'all figured that out and got some little plastic bag you taped to your wall in your shower or whatever, so you can keep up with your phone while you shower. And I see those things, and I'm like, that's pure evil. Nobody, <laughs> nobody's going to know how to think anymore. We don't know how to be bored. We don't know how to listen. We don't know how to sit quietly and let the Holy Spirit talk to us and deal with us. We don't know how to sit with a Bible open for an extended period of time. Now, I, I, I got an app on my phone that will let me, uh, it kind of keeps up, monitors with how much I use my phone, and it started sending me alerts. And the first week, it told me I had spent about two and a half hours a day on my phone. Now, I use my phone some for work, but I, I looked at that, I was like, two and a half hours? If I got rid of this phone in a year, I think I could learn how to play the piano. And I don't have any musical ability, but two and a half hours is a lot of time. That's just my phone. How much time do we spend on social media? How much time do we spend watching television? How much time do we spend? Uh, if you went to Endgame, that's three hours right there. Some of y'all went to it twice. I had a, uh, a, a professor one time said that he had another professor, so I was in seminary, challenge him that he could only watch as much football as he prayed. And so he said, he, he said I'm having to choose which games I watch because I can't be praying 12 hours a week. <laughs> I'm trying to do an hour a day just so I can see these two games. But that's the truth. How many times? How many times have we looked at someone and said, yeah, I just really hadn't had time to get in the Word? You had time to get on the Internet? 
oh, man, I just, I, I, you know, I'm so busy. I just can't be around a life group right now. Okay. You watching television? Because I think you could rearrange your schedule a little better and figure it out. How many of y'all playing video games instead of doing homework or something? And you should swap those and then you could be around your life group. Now, we do this all the time. We fill our schedules with things that don't matter and we get entangled in them. If I had to right now list out all the Bible passages that I could quote, and even the ones that I could kind of paraphrase, versus all the lines from the TV show The Office that I could quote. That's a good TV show, but it ain't making it to an eternity. We do this with everything. Good things. Entertainment's fine until it's elevated out of its place. Until it has entangled us. We do this with relationships. Some of y'all love Jesus until you get a boyfriend. Some of y'all love Jesus until you get a girlfriend. You've actually had your life group sit you down and say, last time you got a boyfriend, you disappeared for six months. And you were like, I know, I'll never do it again. I know, this time is different. You know how I know it's different? He's special and magical and he rides a unicorn. Maybe this is your first Sunday back. We're so glad to see you. I'm sorry y'all broke up. I've actually had people in my group break up, and I'm like, I'm so glad I was praying for that. They're like, well, I'm sad. I'm like, well, I'm not. Maybe I ought not be so honest right now. Just good to see you. We do this with, uh, with children. I got two of them. Uh, they demand attention. Little babies. I'm going to tell you all something about little babies. My wife isn't here, so I can say this. Little babies are the worst. Um, because they're like angry potatoes. Like little terrorists. Because they're just going to terrorize you till you do what they want. And I'm, <laughs> we had our first one. We don't negotiate with terrorists. She's like, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. We're doing something. They demand your attention. They demand your time. And right when they come into the world, there is this season of... I, I had one of the pastors at Midtown Downtown tell me one time, he, right before we had our first baby, he said, look, don't ask your wife in the first four months. Don't ask each other, how are we doing? He said, the answer is bad. So don't ask that question. It's unhelpful. You're doing bad. Don't talk about it. That makes it worse. Just be doing bad and keep it a secret. And then about five months, then you can start saying, hey, are we okay? There is a season of that. But what happens is so quickly it trains us that life bends to these little creatures. And so we then start saying, we, we get on their schedule and we start saying things like, well, I would be a part of a life group, but you know, little Davey's got to be in bed at seven o'clock. Otherwise, he's a terrorist the next day. And it's like, well, at some point, we got to start teaching our children that our schedules and their schedules bend to Jesus and his people. Jesus and his mission. Otherwise, they're not going to learn it. And you'll have children that think that our schedule and our time bend to them, and that's very unhelpful for them. So I think, I tell my son on Wednesdays, I say, you got to take a nap. When your mama tells you to get in bed, you better get in bed because we got to hang out with our group tonight and you can be staying up late. And we try to train our children that I don't care if you didn't sleep well last night. You're not going to act like that. Now, I don't know if we're allowed to say this. It's 2019, but I own a belt and we have to handle some things sometimes in a healthy, appropriate way. 
But there are some times where we've got to teach our children some discipline and they've got to learn that we've been to Jesus and his mission. So take your children with you. Don't use them as an excuse. Don't teach them that they trump Jesus. Take them with you. Be on mission with them. I went recently and knocked on all my neighbor's doors to invite them to my house for a thing. I took my kids with me so that people would answer their doors. This is my thinking face, y'all. I can't be knocking on doors and just standing around looking at people. So I hide behind a one-year-old in a stroller. I had my four-year-old hand out the little invitations. I just did this. Take them with you. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to love. Teach them what sacrifice looks like. Teach them that you've been to Jesus. So many of us grew up in families where our parents said they were Christians and we did not see them bend their life to Jesus. We saw them work their schedule around. Jesus had to work their schedule, his schedule around them. Don't do that. It's not going to mess them up. It'd be good for them. That we are not to be entangled in things that are civilian. Now, you can raise your children in a way that disciples them and grows them towards Jesus and isn't a civilian pursuit at all. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute, but I want to help you identify uh, how, do you, how do you know if something's become an entanglement? How do you know if something's become a civilian pursuit? The first one, are you being faithful? Rather than asking, looking at the problem, just look at your life, are you being faithful? If you're, if we're going to be a Jesus-centered family on mission, are you being Jesus-centered? Are you in the word? If Jesus is our teacher and we follow him and we obey him, are we applying the gospel to every area of our lives? If we're family, do we look like it? Do you bear burdens? Do you answer phone calls? Do you share? Are you on mission? Do you care about the people around you? Do you care about those who don't know Christ? Do you pray for them? Do you plead for them? Do you try to get to know them? One of the things I hear Christians say all the time is, ah, I used to be a part of that bowling league, but everybody there was awful. It's like, yeah. They were jerks. They were, da, da, da. yeah. First of all, have you met you? Second of all, <laughs> they need Jesus. Are you being faithful? If you answer no to those questions, I don't know what it is, you're entangled. I don't have, I don't have to, to know your life. I don't have to know your schedule. You're entangled in something. Might just be your couch. I don't know. But you're entangled. Secondly, check your wallet and your watch. You have two things that you get to use to assign value. On the most regular basis, that's your wallet and your watch. You have a limited amount of money. You ever heard somebody spend some money on something and you just, your jaw dropped to the floor? You were like, you spent $100 on what? I saw an a, 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 a Instagram account for um, preachers and sneakers. Have y'all heard of this? Anyways, pastors and really expensive shoes. $3,500 shoes. And I was like, I didn't even know shoes could cost $3,500. If I had $3,500 shoes, I would be standing on a jet ski. Because I didn't even know you could do that. I didn't know you could buy $3,500 shoes. Uh, you'd see me on top of a motorcycle. Like, I don't, you know. But I just was like, but you do that sometimes. You'll see somebody spend some money on something. And the only reason you freak out is because that's not your form of idolatry. There's stuff that I don't even have to think about. You say something, my wallet's just appeared in my hand. It's like it was magic. 
One of the things for me is eating out. The good life for me is just being able to eat out somewhere. If I, can just, if I can just walk into a place and pay for some food yes. and all the food I want, not just a little bit of food, but all the food I want. Right. I went to a place the other day and I walked in and it was pork chop was $11 and I, my soul hurt because <laughs> I was like, I can't spend $11. I had to sit at the table like praying for help because I, I was about to. Like I wanted to spend, I got a pork chop sandwich, it was less. I worked it out, $7. But there's, what do you spend your money on? What do you not even second guess? Of course you would spend money on that. Specifically, if your money's walking out the door for all kinds of things except for church family, and it's walking out the door for all kinds of things except for mission, uh, the the founder of FUBU says that every one of his dollars is like a little soldier that he sends out to do work. How many of your little soldiers make it to eternity? And how many of them die on this battlefield right here? Check your check your watch. Not right now. We're doing fine on time, you guys. Don't check your watch now. Check your watch on how you spend your time. Because you, can, you assign value to things by what you'll spend time on. How, how many of you have a couple of seasons of Netflix already out the door, but, but don't have time to go get with somebody who's, in, who's hurting and who's in need and who needs, to, who needs to share and who needs to cry and who needs to be carried, lifted up? Where are we spending our time? And just real quick on that, let me, let me tell you something that, that, that is a reality about sharing suffering with one another. Um, if you go around somebody who's depressed, if you're happy or just normal, kind of in the mid-range happy, and you go get around somebody who's depressed, the only way for them to not be depressed is for you to share some of your happiness with them and for you to take some of their depression. You leave, they're a little bit happier and you're a little more depressed. That's a substitutionary sacrifice. That's what Jesus did, so I think we're empowered for it. Now, I stole that from Tim Keller, but it's good. <laughs> it's a substitutionary sacrifice. Sometimes what happens in your group is one person is hurting, one person is drowning, and it's as if all of you are on the bottom of the ocean and everybody's got a, a, a scuba tank except for them. So you got to hold your breath so they can breathe. Your oxygen level drops so they can breathe. Now, if there's enough of us sharing in it, we can do it. If there's only two people in your group doing it and everybody else is just backing out, it's exhausting. Now, the Holy Spirit empowers it, but we're meant to share in suffering together. So check your wallet and your watch. The next one, ask the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you all something. Get a blank sheet of paper. Get a pen. I, have, I, have, I don't know if I've ever had the Holy Spirit not answer this prayer. Lord, where do I need to repent? And just write down what he tells you. Maybe you need to pray it every day for a week. Maybe you don't sin as much as I do. Every time I've asked him, he told me stuff. <laughs> but here's the thing. He wants to answer that prayer because he doesn't want sin for you. Sin disrupts, it harms, it steals joy from you. It robs your ability to be in his church and to serve and to be around people. He doesn't want that. He wants you. And so when you ask, where do I need to repent? He'll tell you things. Amen. Write them down, repent. Let me tell you something. If you go sit down with him and say, Lord, where am I entangled? And he tells you stuff. You're in a new ball game because you know now. Better start dealing with it rather than just being like, oh, that's neat. <laughs> ask the Holy Spirit. Fourth one, ask church family. Give it your life group. Say, how am I entangled? And prepare yourself to have your little feelings hurt. Because as soon as somebody says, I think it's your children. 
You're going to be like, you know what, Carol? You didn't even ask, but I got two answers for you. Ask ask your church family if you've been walking with them. If they don't know, they might not be around you enough. If I don't know, a lot of times I'll just say, I probably hadn't seen you enough, so maybe you're entangled in something when I'm not around you. But most of the time, your church family will know they'll have a good read on us. And they'll be able to helpfully tell you, I don't think you're following Jesus here. I think you need to believe the gospel here. So ask your church family. Now, let me, let me try to clarify something for you. Relationships are good. Children are good. Entertainment's fine. It's not essential, but it's fine. It's good. It's a good, joyous thing God gave us. It's when they're elevated out of their spot. But here's the thing. All that stuff, if you're a Christian, everything you do now is as a Christian. You're a part of the church. The church and your church family and mission isn't one of the activities among many other activities you do. It's who you are. So, I can't, when people say, is it wrong for me to be on a, tra- to coach a travel basketball team? Every guy in my group, when he, like, if he asks that question, it's like, I, but I don't know. Are you doing it like a Christian? Are you on mission? Because here's the thing, you're traveling all across the state with a handful of people getting to know families. Are you praying for them? Are you pleading for them? Are you sharing the gospel with them? Or are you highlighting and holding up the basketball? Because if you're elevating basketball above Jesus, then yeah, get rid of it. But if you're using basketball for the sake of Christ, that you might display Christ, that you might present Christ, that you are pleading that Jesus would work, and then go for it. That's why when someone's like, man, I'm having to change my schedule. I'm working nights. I'm not going to be around our group. It's like, yeah, okay. You're, you're a Christian. That isn't, you don't have to practice these things to keep that going. We practice these things because it's the reality of who we are. We practice these things because it's our identity. We don't practice these things to gain our identity. So look at your schedule. If you're working 40 hours a week, don't say, well, that's the most important thing on my schedule. I got to quit my job. No, go to your job as a missionary. The Lord's already sent you there. One of the ways that Christians suffer, suffer, and I I believe this is distinct to Christians, some of you need to pass up better job opportunities because the mission isn't done where you are. Some of y'all need to continue to live in Columbia, South Carolina because the mission is not done where you are. Some of you cannot move from the house you live in because the mission is not done where you are. That we are meant to share in suffering, and to stay focused. And if I jumped right into that without saying it, stay focused. It says, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Then he says this. We're going to jump down to verse 8. It'll be on the screen. How do we do this? If we're supposed to suffer well and we're supposed to stay focused, how do we do that? What empowers that? How do we do that? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. Remember Jesus Christ. This is Memorial Day weekend. Tomorrow we are meant to, as Americans, remember soldiers who died, that we might have freedom. Christians do that every week, every day. Remember Jesus Christ who suffered before us, who died, that we might have freedom who went before us and bled for us so that we might have freedom, that we might have life. In reality, we are not all good soldiers. We do not do this well all the time. Far too often we're walking around like civilians. Far too often we're acting like tourists. But the the hope that we have in Jesus is that he saves sinners. 
that he does not sit at the back and send us out, and depending on how well we do as to whether or not we get to be a part of this, that he goes before us and did it all perfectly for us so that we can have hope in him, and then we follow in obedience. That he was obedient first, that he was the soldier first, that he shed his blood first, that he rose and reigns now, that he conquered first, and we join him in that. We follow behind that. We don't go out in front of him to earn something for him or to present something to him. He earned it and he presented it to the Father for us and we get to walk behind him as faithful servants and good soldiers. So we remember Jesus. And here's the reality. Everywhere we are failing at this, I'm willing to argue with you. You're not remembering Jesus. Anywhere I'm sinning, Anywhere I'm lazy, anywhere apathy has crept in, I'm waving a flag and saying, I need to remember Jesus right here. When it comes to my money here, I need to remember Jesus. I need to remember the one who died so that I might have life. I need to remember the one who eternity was so clear in his mind and the value of souls was so present before him that he would die that I might have freedom and life. And I'm acting as if I don't remember him, as if I don't know him, the one who died and rose again in my place and leads us forward in triumphant procession that we would remember Jesus. I am thinking about suffering and and staying focused. I played football growing up through high school. I played like baseball until I played football. And then once I played football, I was like, I will never play baseball again. Because in baseball, they like hit you with a ball. You just had to like deal with it and go to first base. He didn't, didn't give you the ball and let you throw it back. In football, if you hurt me, I might not even do the play next time. I just try to hurt you back. <laughs> so I started playing football, and I spent a lot of time focusing on football. I ended up going, uh, got to go to college and play football. Now, to be fair, I went to college and I practiced football. I didn't really play football. I had a helmet and a locker and stuff, but that was about it. But I remember being in college one time, we were standing out at practice, and I held up a football. It was before practice, and we're all standing out there depressed because that's the way you feel right before practice. And I was holding it up, and I said, hey, how much time have you devoted to this little brown thing? How much time have you devoted to an oddly shaped piece of leather? And I just kind of said it to the few guys around me, and then Antoine Thomas, who was an All-American on our team, said, hey, He turned around and said, everybody shut up. So everybody shut up, because that's what you did when Antoine told you that. He said, Chet, say it again. I said, I was just asking, how much time have we devoted to this? Here's the thing. Paul says that uh, bodily health and strength is good, but it doesn't make it to eternity. But that godliness makes it to eternity. There are some things that are worth suffering and staying focused for. And many of us have chosen things. I chose football for a very long time. I was willing to suffer and stay focused for it because I valued it. And the truth is there are other things that you're willing to suffer for and stay focused for because you value it. And what Paul is saying is value Jesus and his mission above everything else that we might suffer and stay focused. This is what he says, verse 9, for which I am suffering. He's in jail, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Isn't that beautiful? He says, this is my circumstance. I'm suffering right now, but guess what? They can tie me up. They can't tie the gospel up. 
They can treat me like a criminal. The gospel gets to do whatever it wants. It moves. It works. The Holy Spirit's at work here. And I am suffering for the sake of the gospel. He says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Let's read that again. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We remember Jesus and we suffer for the gospel for the sake of those who get to know him. There are people in this city, there are people in your, at your work, there are people in your neighborhood who need to obtain salvation, that need to be gathered around the table in eternity with us, having their hope placed in Jesus. Everyone in this city will stand face to face with Jesus. Everyone in this city will walk into eternity some into eternal glory, and some into eternal damnation. Everybody that you know, every person, every coworker, every family member will stand face to face with Jesus, and it will either be the most joyous, glory-filled moment where their sin falls off of them, where their weakness falls off of them, where their pain and their hurt and their bitterness withers and dies and they step into eternity, welcomed into the arms of the Son, taken to the Father, who we get to walk into the throne room boldly because of the grace and the blood that has been shed on our behalf, that we get to walk in knowing that we're holy and blameless and above reproach because Jesus Christ died for our sin and we get to enter into eternal glory. Or staring at the same face, looking at the same glory, there will be people fear and pain and brokenness as they stand bearing the weight of their own sin. Now, some things are worth suffering for and some things are worth staying focused for, not getting entangled in silly stuff that won't make it into eternity. And Paul says, I suffer for the gospel for the sake of those who will get to stand before the king and be redeemed. Now that's worth putting your money towards and that's worth putting your time towards and that's worth focusing your life on and that's worth while you're at school caring about the people who live next, who are next to you, not, not just your grades. Some of you are, are smart enough to, to be able to lead a, a study group and you ought to so that you might display the gospel to people and you might reach them with, with Christ and some of you should just join a study group so that your grades are better and so that you can get to know the people in that group and you can share the gospel with them. Some of you need to join some... Uh, a t-ball league or something so that you can be around people who don't know Jesus and you can begin to, to spend your time and your efforts. Some of you need to begin showing up to your block parties when you haven't been because you didn't really feel like it because you want to see people come to know the Lord and be able to stand and be numbered with the redeemed. Jesus Christ died to save people in this city. And we get to be a part of following after him as good soldiers, suffering well and staying focused so that they might praise Jesus in eternity. And it's worth it. In just a moment, as his church, as his people, we're gonna take communion together where we actively remember Jesus.
that his body was broken, that his blood was shed, that we might have life and joy and purpose. Purpose in our suffering, purpose in our work, purpose in our lives, that we might please the one who enlisted us. And if you are a part of the church, if you belong to Jesus, that is for you to to repent, to reflect, and to celebrate that Jesus Christ has died for you and that you need the hope of the gospel. And if you are not a Christian, we are glad you are here. Communion is not for you. We want Jesus for you. And then you can celebrate communion with us. But at this point, we'd ask you to refrain as we, in just a moment, remember Jesus. I'd I'd encourage some of you right now to be asking him where you're entangled and where you need to see your sin so that when you go to the table, you might apply Jesus directly to that spot through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna take communion together as a church family and then we're gonna praise Jesus whom we remember as the one risen from the grave to rescue and redeem his people. Let's pray. God, we thank you and we praise you And we ask, Lord, that through your grace and your empowerment, we would not be entangled and that we would share in suffering along your people. That we might walk in life with you and in the hope that you have provided through the gospel. That your Holy Spirit right now would begin to reveal to us where our wallets and our watches say that what they say that we love and what they say that we cherish and where we have gotten out of focus. And God, that you would give us grace to repent and you would give us joy in it as we find you. And may we remember Jesus who makes all of us worthy, holy, loved, and that we get to join following after him, not earning this on our own. In Jesus' name, amen.